Blog Talk Radio. There is a watchman on the wall, bringing forth the written word of God to one and all. Are you getting ready? Will you stand or will you fall? Listen to the watchman on the wall. Listen to the watchman on the Rise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. A new day has dawned. All over the earth, men and women are arising. It's time for the sons of God to awake. It is a day of justice, recompense, Restoration, revival, and resurrection power. It's great to be with you on this Friday morning. It is the 22nd day of July 2022, and we have had a phenomenal week. I look back at the beginning of the week and the interviews that we started the day, uh, the week with, with uh, Brian and Kathy uh, Gray and with Brother Daniel yesterday. Uh, today, it's kind of just wide open. Uh, We're going to have a very short broadcast today, and uh, we have a busy weekend ahead of us, but I think we had a great week of just um, getting information out, and uh, we had not only on this radio broadcast, but during the entire week, uh, the messages that uh, we have had um, shared, and I just kind of just know it's the Holy Spirit, and what I'd like to read out of today is one of my favorite passages in the Bible. Um, If there is another verse of Scripture anywhere, I just, uh, it's it's very difficult to measure up. And what I'd like to do, I'm going to actually put on a new, um, I'm going to go with a different version of of this Scripture here. So let's see what I can come up with. All right. So, yes, Friday. July 22nd. Can't reach it for some reason, so that's okay. We'll get right out of there. Um, Let me read this to you out of Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints which are at Ephesus, and 
to the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Being faithful. Let's make sure that we're doing good here in our settings tab. I see that's happening. Test test one, two. We should be going through nice, loud, and clear. I hope we're doing okay on Blog Talk Radio as well. Um, So, to the faithful in Christ Jesus. To me, this is one of the most important values as we live a Christian life and as we're walking towards the end of time, the end of our personal lives or the end of the world as we know it, um, a faithful spirit towards God to me is one of the most important values a man could have. Faith, hope, love, but it's all tied in to that faithful spirit Uh, being faithful to the things of God, being faithful in your heart, being faithful, Um, basically meaning loyal in in many ways, just being having a loyal, loyal spirit. Um, There we go. I think I wanted this. No, I didn't want that. I wanted to go here, though. I'm looking for, let's see. Yeah, it's not giving me my concordance for some reason. Interesting. So um, that loyalty Paul's writing to the saints who were loyal in verse 3. Here here begins a passage of Scripture that it's impossible that a man could have thought of these things the way that Paul did. It's simply impossible. And he writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings. In heavenly places in Christ, according as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. I mean, just think about the weight of that passage. Number one, Paul is blessing the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings that originate or that are in heavenly places in Christ. So all the spiritual blessings that we have become the recipients of, they have their origin in heaven. They have their origin in Christ. And so out of Christ, out of the heavenly realms, you and I, are the recipients of the spiritual blessings of God. And you have to ask yourself, well, what is a spiritual blessing? And I've always considered a spiritual blessing to be the love of God shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. Uh, The faith, to have faith in God and not be an unbeliever. It's a spiritual blessing. The joy of the Lord in our hearts. The peace of God. So you kind of flow with the fruit of the Holy Spirit in a way, but spiritual blessings, um, you know, they, they, there's really no end to thinking what they could be. Favor, God's grace, God's unmerited favor, his divine influence upon the heart that's reflected in the life, um, his mercy. Um, so these are very powerful benefits that have come to you and I because of our faith in Christ and because of our believing that we have become the recipients of the spiritual blessings of God that originate in heaven, that originate in Christ Jesus. And then he went on to say, 
This is according as he has chosen us. Now that's powerful. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. You know, the Bible says that many are called and few are chosen. Many are called, few are chosen. But to the chosen ones, the ones that he has chosen in him before the foundation of the world, that's a very powerful blessing because it takes you and I out of the equation altogether except for our faith and our acceptance of the divine offer of God. Imagine that you and I have been chosen by God. He chose us before the foundation of the world. For what purpose? It says that he chose us that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. And what that's really saying is that God chose it that way. He chose us to stand before him holy and without blame. And immediately we think, oh, that's what I have to do. When in reality, it's not what we have to do. It's what he's done. God chose for you and I. It was in his own mind to make sure that we would stand before him holy and without blame before him in love. In other words, through the work of Jesus Christ, you and I have been apprehended by God because we've been chosen by God. And he's called us to stand before him and and to be looked upon and viewed upon by his love. So when God sees you and when God sees me, he's looking at us and the divine smile and the divine love that is in him, who he is, is, is shining on us. And he views us as being blameless and he views us as being holy, not by what we have done, but by what Jesus, his son, has done. And by bringing us to a saving knowledge or bringing us to a faith in what Jesus has done is what affords us that standing before God. And to me, that's phenomenal because, again, it takes you and I, as far as works, completely out of the picture. But our faith allows for this calling, this choosing, to become so that we do stand before him in love, that we do stand before him blameless, and we do stand before him holy. Now, that's the call of God. That's the choosing of God upon our lives. And we are to receive that and accept that. The only problem is our faith in our heart says yes and amen, but there's a war in the mind. The mind, the carnal mind, is at war with this reality. It is that the deception and the imaginations of the mind are at war with the truth. And you, you wonder why our minds would war against this truth. Why our minds would work against this truth. You wonder. And it's simple because it's, the Bible says that the carnal mind is enmity towards God. In other words, our own carnal mind that we all possess is hostile towards the purposes of God. In other words, it doesn't just readily receive God's truth. The mind somehow is opposed to the purposes of God. And therefore, the renewing of the mind is one of the most important things anybody could ever do with their lives, is get the mind renewed with the word of God. 
And faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God, hearing and hearing and hearing. So it's a marvelous thing when you stop and think that the God of our creation, the God who loves us, the God who chose us to stand before him in love and to be viewed by him blameless and holy, that we actually have some opposition to that in our old self in the old man. The purpose of killing the old nature, the purpose of putting the old man to the cross is to get him out of the way of the divine flow of God's love, God's favor, the holiness of God and the blamelessness of God that he's put on us. But as long as the old man is there, there's an opposition to it. There's a war against it. So we've always kind of thought of, you know, dying to self or putting ourselves on the cross or taking up our cross daily as some, you know, religious ritualistic thing. And, you know, it's so hard to do when really the purpose of doing that is to get ourselves out of the way that the glory can flow. And it's just putting away the opposition to the love of God. It's as though there's a part of human nature that doesn't want God's love, that that can't flow with God's love, that doesn't want to be holy, that doesn't want to be blameless. There's, it's, it's kind of out of whack. It's like out of control. It's something that most Christians don't like, they don't want, and yet they find it constantly warring against the spirit. And this is what Paul wrote about in Galatians chapter 5, that the, uh, the flesh wars against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And within that flesh nature, that fallen human nature, is a carnal mind, and it is hostile against God. And this is unfortunate because it makes our journey Uh, laborious, when God is actually calling us into rest. And so the labor that we're called to is in Hebrews chapter 4, to labor to enter into his rest. Now, the rest is already there. The rest of, you know, all this negativity, all this satanic, all this carnality, all this flesh. um, But it's an opposition that causes us to have to take by the power of the Holy Spirit to go through it so it doesn't bring us down or bring us back or take us out or keep us in a state of double-minded, you know, constant warfare. So faith is believing right here that God chose you to stand before him holy, blameless, and in love. That's God's intended purpose for you. This is what God desires for you. This is how God wants you to live now. He wants you to know that you're holy, not by what you can do, but by what Jesus did. Jesus' work on the cross has translated into you being holy. He did it. He also wants you to stand before God knowing that you're blameless. There's nothing being pointed at you by God because your faith in what Jesus did paid the price for everything you've ever done that was to be blamed. And so God desires for you to stand before him knowing he has made you holy. He has made you blameless. And he desires to lavish upon you his love. He did this. And this is what's amazing because it says in verse five that 
having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. So everything that he did, and by the way, if you were to take these words here in in verses 3, 4, 5 particularly, uh, this is what Paul calls, or in the Greek, what is happening here is this is the divine eulogy or the eulogia. It's the divine eulogy. It's what we do at funerals. When we go to a funeral and we, uh, we eulogize the dead. And this is exactly what is happening in this passage of Scripture. In the Greek, it literally talks about the eulogy, that God is eulogizing us. And isn't that interesting that eulogies are spoken at funerals for dead people? So it's almost as though God is eulogizing us, reckoning us to be dead and not seeing us in our old life. And he's eulogizing us in the newness of the spirit. And he's talking about how beautiful and blameless and holy and how loved we are. That's what you normally do for a dead person. Somebody that died and you loved, you eulogize them. You speak of all the well-being. And here in these passages, God is eulogizing us. And he's recognizing us dead to the old, but alive to the new. And his eulogia is not for our passing away into eternity. His is a eulogizing, a speaking well, speaking favorably over us in our born-again state. Can you imagine that God has eulogized your life? That he has spoken well of you? That he is speaking favorably of you? that he doesn't see you the way that you see you, that God sees you through the veil of Christ and the blood of Christ, that God sees you as holy, he sees you as blameless, he sees you with nothing but love radiating from his essence and being. That's how God sees you. That is the truth. Our working out our salvation is coming into that reality. Our cleansing ourselves of all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness and the fear of God is coming into faith. It's laboring. It's, it's doing the work to believe. Our purging, if a man purge himself from these things, you do that by faith. In other words, the work is already done for you and I. Concerning you and I, there isn't going to be any more work. Christ has done everything. Now, the Holy Spirit has been given to us to bring us into this truth, into this reality, to renounce, to reject our old life, to get us to no no longer think out of that old human nature, but to think the word of God, to see ourselves as God sees us. God loves you. God has proclaimed you and eulogized you to be blameless. When he speaks of you in the heavenly realms, he says, ah, There is my son. There is my daughter. They are holy and blameless when they stand before me. There's no fault in them. They are faultless. This is God's eulogy of your life written right here in Scripture. Let's read it one more time in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. So these spiritual blessings originate in the heavenly places in Christ. 
according, this is why, this is how, it's according, as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. So God chose us. We did not choose him. How did he choose us? That we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Now, how does that work? Having predestinated us, our predestination from before the foundation of the world was to stand before God in this condition. He chose us to stand before him. This is the destination of every saint. The predestinated purpose of God is that you stand holy before God, you stand blameless before God, and you are the one receiving, like the earth receives light and heat from the sun, the love of God in the rays of divine love are falling upon your life. You're standing, receiving the radiant love of God. And he chose you for that. And everything in between, until that becomes a reality for you and I, is the warfare that goes on in between. The devil doesn't want you to stand holy before God and righteous before God and blameless before God and receiving the love of God. Your flesh doesn't want it. The carnal mind doesn't want it. The world doesn't like that idea about you. But this is what God has done. It's already finished. It's already complete, according to Scripture. It's just about us catching up with it and, and escaping the pull of the world, flesh, and uh, uh, devils, the gravity pulling us back, trying to pull us back, the world, the flesh, devils, gravity, the gravitational pull to earthliness or earthly-mindedness. But God's Spirit is lifting us up and breaking us through by faith in the Word of God, the renewing of the mind. We're eking out, we're breaking, we're breaking, but there are bands holding back, but there's an anointing in our generation that is going to release. It's called escape velocity. And there is a divine anointing for your life. It's available right now. It's available to whomsoever will. And we tap into that anointing, and that anointing is the rocket fuel necessary to take our spirit and break us free of the world, flesh, and devil, and no longer think the way it does, that old nature. We reckon it dead. We reckon ourselves dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God. We reckon ourselves standing before God, blameless and holy, and recipients of the divine love of God. You reckon it so. This is the battle. This is the anointing. But it takes anointing to actually think that way. It takes anointing to step into that reality. See, the truth is it's already there, but entering into it is another thing. We labor to enter into that rest, but it's the truth. So we want this war, and God's saying, you know, I predestinated you to the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to myself. In other words, I sent my son before you ever existed. I already knew you. I sent my son to adopt you. You know, they said that adopted children are, are, are very special. A man and a woman that get married and have a child is a natural way of producing offspring. But when you go to another country and you see all these orphan children, and you actually walk down the aisle and you choose a child that you're going to take responsibility for to raise, when you choose that child and you adopt it, that is what God did for us. There's something very special 
about choosing an orphan that has no foundation, no mother, no father, unwanted by the world, rejected, dejected, broken, feeling as though they're worthless, useless. And all of a sudden, God comes by and chooses you, and he found the legal form to buy you. He says, we're bought with a price. And you do. When you adopt a child, you buy them. So being bought with a price, he looks at us, and he signs all the legal documents, ratified in blood, purchased by blood, legally adopted now into the family of God, and you've been chosen through adoption. My God, that's a powerful thing. And why? He adopted us children by Jesus Christ. So when Jesus came, that's the price that was paid, and that's how we were chosen. We were adopted according to what? The good pleasure of his will. You have been adopted by the good pleasure. This is the Father's good pleasure. What does that even look like? I mean, when he walked down the line, he didn't say, I'll take that one, I'll take that one, I'll take that one. No, when he walked down the line, he said, that's the one. That's the one. It was as though his affection, his heart, his love was staring it down. And imagine how many adopted children have come into the kingdom of the Father. You're one of them. I'm one of them. And so now we've been adopted because of the good pleasure of his will, but he's got more to say here. Not only have we been adopted according to the good pleasure of his will, but also in verse 6, to the praise of the glory of his grace. This was all the unmerited favor of God. We didn't deserve it. We weren't standing there going, hey, look at me. Aren't I something? No, we could barely look up. Okay, so this was all according to the glory of his grace. This is God's grace that needs to be glorified. You and I have been brought into such a condition by the grace of God, the unmerited favor of God, despite our condition, our human condition, despite our brokenness, despite our being rejected and unwanted, despite all of these things, God said, I like this one, and I'm going to pour my love on this one. I am choosing this one so I could pour my love on it, and my love is going to bring the transformation to this one. I'm going to bestow my love regardless of what they have to go through. My love will be unending towards this one. And this is how you and I have been brought into this. And we've got so many problems, psychological, solical, mental, intellectual, emotional, so many problems like that little child with the eyes that can't even look up. They're so dejected and rejected, hated and unwanted, feeling such worthlessness within themselves. Well, that's the kind of person that we were and, we, and God brings us into it. And he, and he says, I love you. I really like you. And it's the greatest rescue mission ever known to mankind. And so God, looked, God sought us out according to his good pleasure. He sought us out. He sought you out. He was looking for you, and he saw you, and he says, I like them. And he, and he says, I, I see that there's nothing they can do for themselves. And anybody that thinks they can, that's between you and the Lord. But So what happens by the glory of his grace? 
because of the extolling of his glory, his grace, wherein he has made us accepted in the beloved. Hallelujah. The beloved is Jesus. So it's in Christ Jesus that we have made us, he has made us accepted, no longer rejected, no longer an outsider, no longer a second-rate citizen, no longer the have and the have-nots, no longer the deplorable, no longer the subhuman being, no longer because you're black, because you're white, because you're red, because you're brown, because you're yellow, no longer the color of your skins, no longer the educational background you come from, no longer what side of the tracks you grew up on, no longer the measure of sin that you committed compared to somebody else. None of it matters any longer. We have been accepted, received. Where? In Christ. We have been accepted by God into the family of God. And it says concerning the beloved Jesus Christ in verse 7, that in him, in him, in whom, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. Folks, we have the forgiveness of sins, past, present, future. We have forgiveness for the every moment necessary in the process of coming into the reality. And all we're doing is working ourselves out of deception. We're just working ourselves out of the lie, the lie of the devil, the lie of the world, the lie of the flesh. We're just, we're just laboring by the Spirit into the truth. And the, and the more we spend in the Word of God, looking at the truth and we align ourselves with that truth and we allow that truth to take us into the purposes of God, the, you shall know the truth and the truth will make you free. We need to be free from the world, flesh and devil. And the truth is doing that. And the truth is the word and the spirit. And so we have the forgiveness of sins. You are forgiven. That means never, 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 are you to walk in guilt, shame, and condemnation. However, the Holy Spirit will put a heavy conviction on you if you're walking in sin, if you're practicing sin, if you're going to sin willfully or on purpose, and it's your intended purpose to sin, or you are sinning and don't know it, the Holy Spirit will put a heavy conviction on you, and you'll go, oh, what am I feeling? And you'll know that you're offending God. You'll know that you're offending your neighbor. You'll know that you're offending your own self by the sin. So the Holy Spirit will convince you that you're doing something you ought not to be doing with the intent that you will confess it and that you will repent from it. That is, again, the working out. But you have the forgiveness. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So, for a saint of God to walk in guilt, shame, or condemnation, which is the opposite of conviction, that's where the devil's beating the, you, beating the living daylights out of you. 
uh, condemning you and putting you under that, that, that bondage, well, don't ever go there. Don't ever allow yourself to go into that. The devil's famous at it. And religion has a way of putting people in that condition. You don't need to go into that condition. You just need to keep reading the word uh, and know you're forgiven for anything you've done, anything you do, anything you ever will do. You have forgiveness. You, you'll always have it. It's yours. We have forgiveness of sins. Okay? So does that mean we should continue to sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Romans chapter 6. So how is this that we're given this forgiveness of sins always available to us? According to the riches of his grace. Again, this is all connected to the grace of God. Anybody that would take this grace of God and use it as an excuse or license to sin is in trouble already. It's a total misapprehension of what God has done. The good news about this grace is it lifts us up and out of the power of sin. Sin shall not have dominion over you in Romans chapter 6. And it brings you into a state of righteousness where you do what is right and you don't sin anymore. And a lot of Christians are afraid to say that they don't sin anymore. Well, you need to start confessing you're, you're being dead to sin and alive to God. It's written in the scriptures. Let us sin, let us sin not. I mean, the Bible is filled with scriptures in the New Testament that say, don't sin. Don't sin. We could get to them in some place. So verse 8 goes on to say, now all this powerful, powerful revelation, wherein he has abounded toward us. God, Christ, has abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence. Now, you see, to me, the revelation on that, that God has abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence. In other words, God has brought wisdom and prudence, understanding to what he's done. I mean, he's, he's revealed to us his will. He's unveiled to us his purpose. He's gotten it to us through the preaching of the gospel. He's abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, not verse 9, having made known unto us the mystery of his will. Wow, what is the mystery of his will that he's made known unto us? Well, we just read it, part of it, that we just read that the mystery of his will is that we stand before him with the radiant love of his heart towards us, blameless, guiltless, holy, no longer orphans. We've been adopted and his children were accepted into the beloved. I mean, my God, that was his will from the beginning of the fall of man to bring a restoration and a reconciliation back to his own heart. That you and I have been purchased with the blood. We've been adopted, legal documents signed. We're in the house. We've been translated out of Satan's control and power. And through the blood of Christ, we've been bought and now we belong to God. And he's got to work in all these impressions of negativity, of the abandonment of the past, the abuse of the past, the rejection of the past, psychologically, intellectually, slamming us, twisting us, confusing us, you know, perverting us and twisting us into a billion pieces. We don't know who we are. And yet God, through his wisdom and prudence, is laboring to bring us back into the knowledge of his love and his care and the reason why he created us. And then the ultimate purpose in the ultimate mystery, he made known unto us the mystery of his will according 
to his good pleasure. He's telling us all this for his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself. Now, here's the major part of the revelation of the mystery. Verse 10. Now, he purposed this all in himself. This is all God's doing. And here it is, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. So there's a a reality that one day, it's called the dispensation of the fullness of times. It's a kairos moment. That means in the economy of God, it is ripe. It is an opportune season. It is a rich, bursting moment. In the right time, God has determined to gather everything belonging to him in Christ Jesus into one place. Imagine that. God has a future lined up. And right now, you are owned by him. You have been bought and purchased. And the time of harvest is coming. It's in the day of the dispensation of the fullness of times. God is going to gather everything into Jesus Christ, everything belonging to him. Either dead people that were in the past are going to be resurrected, people alive and remaining. So we ask the question, well, what does this have to do then if this is, if this is the free will and the free gift of God, my salvation, and, and that I've been purchased, I belong to him, and I like it that way, and I want to stay there. What is all the labor? What is this working out? What does it mean to be levels of righteousness, levels of Christ-likeness, levels of purification? What am I doing going from glory to glory, faith to faith, strength to strength? <clears throat> Listen to this. <clears throat> he says in verse 11, with all the mystery that he just unveiled, is that in whom also, so in Christ Jesus also, we have obtained an inheritance. We've obtained it. We have an inheritance. Now, when you stop and think about this, that makes you an heir of God. That makes you a joint heir with Jesus Christ. He's the firstborn. He's the heir, but we become joint heirs with him in inheritance. He's inherited all things. We, the many brethren who are being conformed to his image and likeness, right? There's an inheritance. He is the, he's the rightful heir. The whole earth is his. Everything belongs to him, ultimately. And in that time, he's going to gather it all together. Everything is his. But we, because of being in him, we too have obtained an inheritance being predestinated according to the purpose of him who works all things after the counsel of his own will. You are an heir of God today. But in Galatians chapter 4, it says, though he be Lord of all, if he's a child, though he be an heir, though he be Lord of all, he's no different than a servant until he grows up. So you are an heir of God today. No matter what you're going through, no matter what's happening, 
as you keep your eyes on Jesus, as you keep your heart in faith, as you keep the word of God before you and believe these things and encourage your heart and wash your heart with this reality, you are an heir of God, which means you have an inheritance. You have obtained an inheritance. And I want you to know this inheritance isn't a bunch of dollars or houses or cars. It's eternal in the heavens. This is going to get deep. All right, listen to this. And this is all happening. You are near because it's all happening because the father was thinking about it. Just like your mother and father or somebody that likes you and, and, and wants to put you in their will. So they were thinking about you. Maybe you weren't even thinking about yourself. But the father was there. The, 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 the testator was there thinking, okay, I, w- I want them in my will. And I want them to have this and this and this. I want them to take charge of this and do this. And I want them to have all these things. And so this is all happening according to the purpose of him who works all things after the counsel of his own will. So God in his own mind, his own will, his own purpose called you to be an heir. You are an heir of God with an inheritance with your name on it. That's the word. Verse 12 says that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. Listen carefully. In whom you also trusted after that you heard the word of truth. That's us. We trusted when we heard the word of truth. Now remember what what happened to us. I just want you to remember verse 7. Verse 7 says this. in whom we have redemption through his blood. Remember that. We have redemption through his blood. Okay? Just keep reading. Verse 13. After that you heard the word of truth, you trusted the gospel of your salvation, in whom you trusted in Jesus Christ. Okay? You heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation, the good news of your salvation, in whom also after that you believed, okay, so when you believed the gospel, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. You were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. What is that? which is the earnest of our inheritance. The word earnest means the foretaste. It means the first fruits, the down payment. So the Holy Spirit is the, when we were sealed with the Holy Spirit, it was a seal of promise for a future reward, a future inheritance. So we were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise of things to come, And the Holy Spirit was the earnest or the down payment or the foretaste of our inheritance because that's eternal life. Remember, the Holy Spirit is what gives us eternal life. So the eternal spirit of God that dwells in us is the proof, it's the promise of our living in eternal life. And that's just the foretaste. That means everything that follows when we awaken into eternity, all the inheritance is eternal and forever. Wow. Now, he says in 14, which is the earnest 
of our inheritance. So the Holy Spirit, the seal of promise, is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption. Watch. Until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. What does this mean? This is the earnest of our inheritance until. That means the Holy Spirit is with us right here, right now, as a down payment of the inheritance that God has waiting for you and I. It says in Peter that there's an inheritance reserved for you in heaven. Okay, reserved for you in heaven. So what does this mean? Until the redemption of the purchased possession. Well, remember verse 7 said, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Now, we have redemption. We are the redeemed of the Lord. We have been bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Would you agree? So when God was looking, he found us, he bought us with his blood. We are the redeemed of the Lord. We have been redeemed. But this says that the Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance, until the redemption of the purchased possession. So that means we who have been redeemed, we the purchased possession, until the redemption of the purchased possession. That means there's a further redemption taking place. Now, to understand that, you have to know what the word redemption means. It's a Greek word, lutron, and it has a bunch of sub-root words to it. And it means to the, the ultimate work or, or the meaning of the word lutron. It gets into the luo. And the word luo, redemption, means to break, to loosen, to melt, to dissolve, to release. So what Paul was actually saying here is that there's a redemption for the redeemed. And we've been redeemed through the blood of Christ. We've been purchased. But now we're going through a redemption, a melting, a breaking, a loosening, a dissolving, a releasing of our new born-again spirit from the old nature. This is where it says in Romans chapter 8 about the children of breaking forth into the children of, of God, uh, the, into the children of liberty, being released. Uh, let me just read Romans chapter 8. It's a fabulous pa uh, passage here. And it says that, <clears throat> uh, likewise, the Spirit also helps our infirmities. Uh, okay, no, let's go back to 22. For we know that the whole creation groans and travails in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit. There's the seal, the down payment. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit, the redemption of our body. So they already had the seal of the Holy Spirit. They're already adopted, but they're waiting for something else, the redemption of our body. And then he goes on to say, in verse 26, likewise, the Spirit also helps our infirmities. For we, oh wait, well, let's keep just going on in 24. So we're, we're, he says, we're waiting for the redemption of our body, for we are saved by hope. That's our present condition. But hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why does he yet hope for? But if we hope for that we see not, then we do with patience wait for it. Now, in context, he's talking about the redemption of the body. 
He's talking about a further redemption, a further liberty. And then he says, likewise, the Spirit also helps our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because he makes intercession for the saints. Now, go back one more moment here to verse 21. In 21, Romans 8 says, because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Now, what is he saying here? We are saved by hope, by faith, by grace. We are saved, and we have the seal of the Holy Spirit, and we've been bought. We are the redeemed of the Lord. But there's a promise that we are going to be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God, and we are hoping and waiting for that redemption. And that's what we're laboring to enter into. It's the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. Delivered from bondage of corruption altogether. This is God's will. This is God's heart for you. This is the work of the Holy Spirit who has sealed you unto this reality. You are kept by the power of God through faith unto this reality. Now, that should not mean to somebody, oh, great, then I get to live in bondage of corruption. I still could live out of corruption. Yay! No, if you're truly born again, corruption is bondage. You should hate it with a passion and long to be released and labor to enter into that rest and work out your salvation and run for it as though it's right before you, not just, uh, you know, just kind of Uh, haphazardly waiting for it because it's reserved in heaven. And one day I'll get there. No, it's already waiting for you and for me. And that's what it means to run your race. That's what it means to fight the good fight of faith, to know it's already done. That's what this chapter is all about. It takes a lot of power and energy, right? So Paul finishes this letter by saying this or at least chapter 1 of this letter, in verse 15. This is all to the praise of his glory, right? Wherefore I also, Paul tells him all this, and he says, Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, do you love all the saints? Cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. In other words, here were these Ephesian Christians, these Christians living in Ephesus, which is modern-day Turkey today. And they, they had a love affair with the saints of God. They had a love affair with Jesus. They had faith in Jesus Christ. I mean, they had received the message, the gospel. Paul's telling them all this incredible truth. He's saying, I'm always praying for you. Verse 17, he says this, that the God, here's his prayer for you and I, That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom 
and revelation in the knowledge of him. In everything he just talked about. You can hear it mentally, but it's a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Jesus Christ and all that he's doing here. And then he went on to pray, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened. You see, Buddha doesn't only talk about enlightenment. Paul the Apostle wanted the church to be enlightened, the eyes of their understanding being enlightened. Wow, the light is shining on me and the eyes of my understanding. Oh, 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 I'm awakening to that light, right? He wants our eyes of understanding enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling. You just heard a bunch of it. You now know the hope of his calling. And what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. You know, we are his inheritance. And to know the inheritance, his inheritance in the saints, or the inheritance he's given to the saints. And he also wants us to know this, and this is what it's really going to take. Verse 19, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power, which he wrought in Christ? So he wants us to know the greatness of his power to usward who believe. And what, what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. So he wants us to know that power so that we can understand that he could do the same thing with us not just a physical resurrection from the dead, which I don't think there's any greater power in, in the universe than to be able to do that, but the power to make everything he said true. What did he do with Jesus? He sat him at the right hand in heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. And has put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that fills all in all. Wow, we are the body of Christ, that which fills everything. So what is Paul saying to you and I today in the first part of this letter? I love you. You can't lose if you'll stay the course. You can't lose if you keep the faith. You can't lose if you keep yourselves in the love of God or know, keep yourself knowing that God loves you in spite of your trials and difficulties and pressures. This message is a love letter to your heart. It is a love letter to you to help you to stay the course and endure to the end of the great tribulation or the time of pressure or the time of testing, or the time of temptation or the time of struggle and conflict and striving and trial. It's, it's a love letter to you of God's love for you. 
God chose you. God searched you out. God adopted you. God bought you. He signed the papers in blood. You're legally owned by God. And that he's got a redemption for you, the purchased possession, a deeper deliverance from the bondage of corruption that's been in your life. And he's working that out more and more and more. If you're a Christian for a period of years, you should already see that God has already delivered you from a lot of corruption and a lot of bondage that was once in your life. So if God's already begun a work in you, he promises uh, the work that I've begun, I will complete. Right? So this is God's love letter. And, and if, you, if we don't grasp this at the beginning, it's very difficult to know anything else. Grasp what? That you're, you're, you are accepted. You are chosen. You are loved. You are adopted. You're the purchased possession. You are in the intent of God being delivered from the corruption and the bondage of corruption in your life. And you got to let him do it. And you have to know he's already done it. And you have to come into faith. You have to come into belief. And to know that God did all this for you so that you're not going to crumble. You're not going to become a vacuum. You're not going to cave in because there's a greater power that's in your life keeping you up. And it's not your own strength. It is the power of God's spirit in you. The same spirit that raised up Jesus from death shall quicken your mortal body. Again, Romans chapter 8. So you're not just standing by pretentious faith or, or air. There's a substance of divine mighty power inside of you that God has given you to keep you. And if everything else falls around you, you're going to remain standing in your new creation, in your born-again spirit, in the newness of life that you're walking into, the born-again conduct of the fruit of the Spirit in operation in your life that's real. You have this. You're not going to fail. You are not going to fall. You are going to stand and endure to the very end. And then you're going to see him face to face. And he's going to say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. And he's going to bring you into your inheritance and eternity. And my God, your future is bright. So what I'm going to ask you to do this weekend, immerse yourself in the love of God. Immerse yourself in the knowledge of the extent that Father God has gone through to apprehend your life and to know that you are loved. And that if he loved you at the beginning, he's going to love you at the end. He's with you to keep you into life eternal. Thanks for joining me. I'm Pastor Vince. I told you it'd be a short sermon today. I got to run. See you next Tuesday. Again, I want to thank everybody. It's been very quiet out there with the donations. If you would, please consider giving to this ministry. Uh, there's lots of ways to do it, and you could begin by giving a, a gift through the mail at P.O. Box 100. You could go to our website at omegaradio.org. You could go to our radio website at uh, nwmglobal.org, or you could text us at 410-88-OMEGA. Type in the word give. Lots of ways to give to the ministry. Thanks for doing it. We sure do appreciate it. May God bless you richly and know that you are loved. Have a super blessed day. God bless you.